Lord, we're just thankful for your love. We're thankful that you brought us here, called us to this place where we can hear of who you are and what you have done and how your love works for us and what it means to us. So we ask for your spirit to guide our hearts and minds to be able to more fully grasp what you have placed before us, what you have already done, that we can understand how to walk with you more completely, more fully, and express it with all of our heart. We just thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the, these three remain the faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now, I want to ask you today to think about one question today, one question. When we say the greatest of these is love and we talk about God's love, what does love look like to God? We know what love looks like to us. We have experiences with love in our lives. But how do we really understand what love looks like to God? What does it mean to Him? We sometimes hear that love is a principle, and I believe that's true. We also hear that love is not just a feeling, um, that is more than a feeling. I also believe that to be true. But, but love is an expression of God. How do we understand that expression and the experience that God wants us to have with him? So I want to begin in uh, John's words, in the epistle that John writes, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, starting there. Um, John writes to us so that we will understand kind of this core thing. And he begins by talking about how we love one another and goes beyond that as we continue to read throughout this um, time together. So, dear friends, he says, let us one, love one another, for love comes from God. Notice that? Love doesn't start with us. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So what does that really mean? God is love. We use that phrase as if we really understand it. God is love, like an equivalence of some kind here. What does it really mean? Well, I'm going to suggest to you today that the first part of understanding what that really means, God is love, has to be found at the very beginning of creation when we have our first understanding of, of God coming into this world and creating the world little by little by the power of his voice. And he creates this world to be a world that will experience his love. So in the very beginning, as creation is brought into existence, he speaks and the first day something that has not been becomes real and he says it is good and the next day he speaks and he calls something into the existence and then he looks at it and he says what he sees is good and each day it's good it's good it's good meaning it's what I wanted right it's what I intended Beautiful thing is he comes to the very end of creation and um, at the sixth day, Genesis 1 verse 31, God saw all he had made and it was very good. And it was evening and the morning and the sixth day. So he's saying all along the week, it's good, it's good, it's good. What I've made is good. 
But at the end, at the end of the sixth day, he says, it is very good. What this means is he's declaring how complete it is. It's perfection. It's not the same as good. It's very good. It's complete. It's all that I wanted. It's everything I had laid out, everything I planned. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's complete. It's very good. But did you know that before sin comes into that beautiful creation, that perfect creation, before sin ever enters, God says there was something that was not good? God looks upon this beautiful creation, all of its perfection, just as he intended to make it by the power of his voice, and he says there's something here that's just not right. Before sin, Genesis 2.18, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. Something was not good in that perfect creation. Now, this is, I think, more significant than we sometimes think because we have to understand who the God is who did all this creation, who the God is who is creating this world with man in it and why it's not good because this is a God who already before the creation of our world was a loving God. This is already a God who for all of eternity had lived in a relationship to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. And we can't quite put our heads around that, but for all of time, beyond time, for all of eternity, there had been a relationship of love, planning our creation together, dreaming together, talking together for all eternity. We don't know what else there was created and what other things they enjoyed together, but what we know is that the three in one had always existed in a relationship of love. He is a God of love, so God is love. So he creates in love, and his intention is not just to make things. His intention The pinnacle of that creation is to create people who are made in his image. To be made in his image is not to be made um, just to look like him in some way. I don't even know if that's really true because no one really knows what God looks like. We know what he tells us he looks like. We know what Jesus looks like. He was one of us. The made in the image of God is to be made in his character, to made to have the the powers that God has to create and to to love of all things. So to be made in the image of God, a part of the purpose of his creation was to create people who could love, who could love one another, who could love him, and who could receive his love. Because God is about love more than about any other thing. So he couldn't come into creation and forget about love. And that's why I believe that that Eve was not like an afterthought that somehow came up later. When God said it is not good for man to be alone, this is something he knew already before. This was a part of the plan. He doesn't just come along and say, oops, I guess Adam won't be able to love anybody. I think I better do something else. I better come up with another choice here. I don't, I don't think it was an afterthought. I think this was a part of God's plan. God knew in the beginning to make man in his image. It was mankind in his image. It was people in his image so that they would know love. 
right? So that Adam and Eve would be able to walk in the garden and love each other with the plan being that that would be forever, for eternity. And that they would love God and they would walk in the garden with God and He with them. And it was designed for the most beautiful relationship for all time. But of course, that's not how the story ended. Uh, Sin comes into the world and pretty soon the relationship is broken because that's what sin does. Sin is not just things we do. Sin is the reaction to God that separates us from him. And so we find Adam and Eve hiding in the garden when God comes to walk with them as he would do every night, every evening, maybe every morning. As he comes to walk with them, he can't find them. Where are you? And what are they doing? They're hiding to cover their shame, shame caused by sin. Shame caused by sin because sin cannot stand in the presence of God. And Adam and Eve felt the sin that separated them from God. And every person since them, every person who has been born since Adam and Eve were created and they fell into sin and they separated from God has been born into a separation. You and I didn't start our lives in united relationship with God. We started our lives already separated. And so God needed to do something about that. And so he planned to make a difference in how to restore the relationship he intended in the Garden of Eden. So to understand what God lo- looks lo- what love looks like, you have to understand God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were never alone. And that love didn't begin in the creation. It didn't start in the Garden of Eden. God is a relational being, and he has always been together three persons in one. And the God who desires to have a relationship with all of humankind, with you and me, has always known a meaningful relationship forever and ever and ever. So why does it matter so much? How does it matter to us when we try to answer this question, what does love look like to God? Well, let's go back to 1 John 4, where we were a moment ago. 1 John 4 verses nine and 10, the next two verses. I love the way this is described because it just said God is love, now he's wanting us to know what that means. Verses nine and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, doesn't that verse sound a lot like John 3.16? See, it said, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son. Sounds like John 3.16, the most popular, the most well-known verse in all of scripture. As someone reminded me this week, it's like so popular that it shows up at sporting events, you know? So what does that verse mean? We read John 3.16, but sometimes we don't pay attention because we've read it too many times that we don't let it sink in what it really means. So to read it, I want to read it in a different version. I love the New Living Translation, if you're familiar with that. 
It's not the Living Bible that some of us had years ago, which was a paraphrase. The New Living Translation is a real translation that is really well-worded in our modern language. Gets rid of some of the convoluted grammar that sometimes occurs in scriptures. So I love the way John 3.16, such a simple verse, I love the way it sounds in the New Living Translation. So here's the first part. For this is how God loved the world. That's a pretty simple statement, right? This, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. So what does that mean? So sometimes we've been told, maybe you've never heard this, but I've, I've heard people say, well, what really happened is that Jesus came into the world so he could demonstrate God's love by how he treated us. And then they consider that to be, that's it. That it was Jesus loving us and showing us what love looked like in his earthly life, his 30 years, of this is how love looks and this is what love is. But I want you to understand that that's not what the scripture tells us. The scripture goes far beyond that Jesus came to show us what love is by how he lived. Because love isn't really shown until he dies. So how do we understand this? Well, the only way to really understand what it means that Jesus sent his only son and gave his son to us to understand what happened on the cross is to understand what we just talked about in Genesis. This is the son, Jesus, who had always lived with the Father. For all of eternity, there's been a relationship. So every one of us is born broken. We just said that. We broke broken relationship when we're born. But Jesus didn't have that way. When Jesus came into the world, he was continuing his relationship with the Father. He walked with the Father. He communed with the Father. He went out on the mountain and prayed with the Father. Even in his baptism, the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is not the same thing that you and I have, by the way, because I don't know if Jesus would, or God would be able to say that about all of us. These are my children and I'm always pleased with them. But he did with Jesus because Jesus, Jesus wasn't suffering from the separation that you and I suffered. And so his relationship was never broken. He walked with the Father, he communed with the Father, just as he had always done through all time, beyond time. So when he comes now to the end of his ministry, end of his life, and we know the story, he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he begins to feel the weight, not of his sin, because he had none, because he begins to bear the weight of our sin, something he had never done. But he came into this world so that he could do this, Not just live a nice life and show us good things and teach wonderful things, but he came into this world to die. What a purpose. To die for us. To do what? To take the weight and the punishment of our sin so that it wouldn't have to fall upon all of us. The wages of sin is death. We all have earned those wages, but he doesn't want to pay them to us. He wants to take them so that he would bear the weight of sin and then relieve us so that we could live again. 
So this is not just a good story. This is what happened. Jesus comes to the Garden of Gethsemane because he is coming to the cross, and as he approaches the cross, he comes to the garden, and he begins to feel the weight of the separation that sin causes. And in those moments, he asks for his disciples to pray for him, pray for him, watch with me, but they all fall asleep because they don't have a clue of what's going on. And during that time, Jesus begins to feel something like he has never experienced ever in all of time. He begins to experience loneliness. He begins to feel alone because though the Father has always been with him, right now he feels the Father's presence falling away because the sin he is bearing for us is separating him from the Father. And I can't describe it better for you than the words that I found in the book Desire of Ages. Just two sentences I want to read for you. First one is this. Now, listen to the moment that he's living through. Talking about Jesus, he felt that by sin he was being separated from his Father. The gulf, what gulf? The gulf caused by sin, right? The separation. The gulf was so broad, so black, so deep that his spirit shuddered before it. And it hadn't all fallen on him yet. This was just in the garden. Next sentence. As Christ felt his unity with the Father broken up, he feared that in his human nature he would be unable to endure the coming conflict with the powers of darkness. It's no wonder that when he finally comes to the cross and the full burden of this sin that separates has its final effect and the very skies turn dark because God has turned away from Jesus because of the sin. He cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows, but the pain is real. Jesus did not suffer and die from the physical agony of the nails and the thorns. He didn't die from the pain of the cross. He suffered and he died from the consequence of bearing sin, bearing the separation that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden where they hid themselves in shame and now Jesus is feeling the full weight of all of our sin. And by bearing our sin, he accepted its punishment and he took our place. You see, Jesus didn't come just to live a good life and show us how love is nice. Jesus came into this world to lose love with the Father in order to gain love with you. It's unbelievable that he would do what he did. Because at the moment that he was in the cross, he could not see through the cross, through the tomb, to the resurrection. He couldn't see what would happen as a result of the sacrifice that he was giving, of giving up an eternal walk with God, the eternal relationship with the Father and the Spirit, the three in one. He couldn't see how he was giving it up and it would come back to him again. All he knew is this is what it would cost. 
in order to restore you to have a walk with the Father and the Spirit. And because he couldn't see, he was taking an immense risk. The temptation to just quit, the temptation just to say, this is just too much. I'm just going to call the angels down. I'm going to go back to heaven where everything is beautiful and just forget about them. Let them go. The temptation was great because the loss was so huge. You see, you and I understand what it means to be loved. We know what it is to love. We know what it feels like when we lose love. Many of us have grieved the loss of a relationship, a relationship that we have had for years, maybe decades. But the longest relationship that any of us could have had is a blink of time compared to the amount of time that Jesus had loved the Father. And I believe that the grief that we experience when we lose someone we love, the grief that we bear, and many of you know what I'm talking about, that grief it may be the most powerful, difficult experience that humans bear. To lose someone who we have spent time with, who we have enjoyed the presence of, who we truly love with all our hearts. When we lose those people, we experience a, a grieving that is a powerful experience. But that grieving and that loss is nothing compared to losing a relationship that you have always known through all time. And that is what Jesus did. He didn't lose a friend for 30 years. He didn't lose a friend that he had only known a while. He lost the connection to the Father and the Spirit, the three in one. He lost that connection at the cross and bearing a grief that we can never fully imagine. So can you imagine, can you begin to imagine the cost to the heart of God to go through the experience of such separation? And though I'm spending the time thinking about what it was like to Jesus because we have that described for us so clearly, can you imagine what it felt to the other part of the Godhead who also felt separated from Jesus? What a sacrifice beyond what we often think. We read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and it just seems so simple and we just go on. But that gift was no small measure. That gift is beyond what we understand. I loved you and, and I, you and me so much that he would sacrifice the love of that divine eternity in the hopes, in the hope that you would respond to him. Not knowing if you would. Not knowing what you would choose to do with that love, but hoping, hoping you would understand. Jesus himself told us this as he talked to his disciples, John 15, verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. But he's not talking about just laying down life for, you know, a friend, a casual friend. He's, he's talking about how he laid down, he would lay down his life for you, for me, in a way that we can't express or understand. And then John 3.16 for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one, 
his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So this is what love means to God. So what does that mean to you? We know that these three remain, faith, hope, and love. We have faith because faith means that we accept Jesus for who he says he is. We accept Jesus because he is the Messiah, the promised one, not just from the time of the Old Testament in the way we generally think. He was the promised one since before sin and creation. It was a part of God's plan. He was the promised one. He is the son of the living God. There is no other like him. Do we believe that with all our hearts? faith, and hope, that our hope is in him. There is no place to put our hope other than that what he has done for us would give us opportunity to live again, to escape the burden of the suffering of sin and all of its separation, that through Jesus and what he did for us, we have hope of the resurrection. We have hope not just living physically, but to return to God's love once more to once more come back to what was lost in the garden, to live all of time, all of eternity, forever and ever and ever with the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as was planned in creation. So we have faith. We have hope. And all of it is defined by love. The love revealed in Jesus above all things not only in his life and how wonderfully he lived and the beautiful things he taught us, but more than any other thing through what he gave in the cross. To walk away from love in order to love us. There is no greater love. So these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But of course, the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We can't hardly even imagine what this is. But we thank you, Lord, for your gift. Just help us, help us hear it, help us understand it, help us live with it. Help us live in a way that your spirit can guide us to fully embrace your love. We just wanna live in your love forever. And that's what you did for us. Help us choose to live that way. Help us choose to respond as you would have us respond. Draw us near. We just thank you for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.